Investors Chronicle. Welcome back to the IC interviews. I'm Dan Jones. I'm the deputy editor of Investors Chronicle. I'm very pleased today to be joined by Michael Taylor. Michael is an IC columnist and a full-time trader, having set up on his own back in 2016. He runs the popular UK stock trading course via his website, shiftingshares.com, and he's the author of a number of ebooks on stock market investing. Michael, great to have you with us. Welcome. Thanks, Dan. Appreciate it. And uh, nice to meet you in person after all this time. <laughs> indeed, indeed. Um, so we'll start, we'll, we'll talk a bit about your own kind of philosophy and thinking in, in a bit, but let's inevitably start by having a bit of a, a chat about the market at the moment. As ever, it's a pretty interesting time. It's been a tough year for a lot of people, but you know, in the last few weeks, we've seen a bit of a, um, a calm, calming of the nerves, perhaps. Markets are up a little bit over the last few weeks. Well, what's your kind of take on that, I suppose? To me, it's very interesting. You know, this seems could be a classic dead cat bounce. Could be, who knows? Could be something else. How do you? How are you kind of seeing it at an overall level at the moment? Yeah, I mean, it's difficult to say, isn't it? Really, because there's so many moving parts. And yeah, the market rallied last month. Um, I think it was the biggest bounce since November 2020 when we had the vaccine. Mm-hmm. Uh, but a lot of stocks have come off quite a bit, so it could easily be a dead cat rally. Uh, one thing that I'm aware of, and it's not something that the general public will really be aware of, is obviously we've got the heating bills. A lot of people are talking about that, but people tend to discount the future. You know, it's something I'm guilty of as well. You know, thinking six months down the line, okay, that's ages away. Um, very few people will be saving now thinking about what's going to come. Mm. Um, and, you know, we're seeing businesses go bust, you know, small takeaways, things like that, because their energy bills have gone up 10x. Yeah. Um, you know, you can't suddenly charge 10 times more for a, for a takeaway and expect someone to pay. It. It's just not feasible. Uh, so yeah. we are going to see a lot of businesses go under. We are going to see continued businesses struggling. Um, we are going to see people worse off unless the government steps in and does something now, trying to make a call on all of that is quite difficult because, as I said, there's so many variables and if this, if that. My sort of philosophy is to let the charts tell me what to do. Mm. And, you know, they, it's a lot of stocks are downtrending, the printing 52-week lows. Um, do I want to be bullish in that? I mean, I'm, I'm a trader, so I just go where the market tells me. Uh, I guess you could listen to the old Warren Buffett quote, be greasy when others are fearful, you know, which is a nice saying, but, you know, just because something's 50% down, it could fall under the 50%. You know, ultimately, markets are run on fear and greed. It's not efficient, which makes it very difficult to to actually call. So, you know, in short, I have no idea. No. I, I wish I did. <laughs> but, yeah. I have no idea, and I'm I'm just going to continue doing what the the charts and my risk management say. Yeah, don't I think that's fair enough about uh, you know looking ahead. It's it's always uncertain, isn't it? I mean, that Warren Buffett quote. You know, um, typically from my point of view, I'm always quite fearful. But actually, right now, I'm, yeah. I'm almost thinking, you know, it's strange, isn't it? As you say, we've got this stuff coming down the line, and okay, the man in the street might not be um, uh, fully conscious of that, but but you would think the market might be, you know, aware of of what's coming in the autumn and and yet you know as we get nearer 
there doesn't seem to be much of a spike in volatility. So it's quite intriguing to me, really, what what's going on. But um, so what what are the you know um, you mentioned you know the charts, a lot of stocks still in downtrend. One thing we talked about on our companies and markets podcast last week was you know uh, obviously a lot of companies just had interim numbers out. In the main, again, albeit this is largely you know large cap, mid cap, not so much small cap, perhaps you know the guidance for the year is the second half actually isn't isn't that bad considering what might be coming down the line what what are your you know maybe looking more in uh, a different part of the market have you been paying attention to those kind of numbers you know how are they feeding into to your thinking what you know are you finding more stocks even now in the last few weeks still on that kind of downtrend where you're looking what kind of opportunities if any are you seeing yeah, so I guess the, I mean, I'm long short, so I will I'll mm. take, you know, I'm, I prefer to be long. Um, everyone does because it's optimistic and, uh, you know, realistic optimism does actually pay in the stock market. Um, but what what I've found is that sometimes the best trade opportunities are actually short mm. because so many people don't want to go short. Um, and, and again, people are, are quite optimistic, so they tend to, not think about things that can go wrong. Yeah. Uh, so a good example is, you know, I shorted a company uh, called ProCook, which was a COVID float last year. And, you know, it was a very simple reasoning that, you know, as consumer belts tighten, people aren't going to be buying fancy upmarket kitchenware. Mm. Um, the cost of acquisition had surely gone up. I mean, we we know it had from social media companies and, other companies saying that their cost of acquisition on on paid spending had gone up, um, so I knew that would be a headwind. And you know, when when the market's choppy and people are risk off, you know, if that company had been in line, the stock probably wouldn't have moved. Um, yeah. Whereas if it did warn, then it would fall by quite a lot, and and that's exactly what happened. And in this market, um, if you can find companies that are great short candidates um you know that sometimes that's all you need uh you don't even really need lungs um yeah. so yeah i guess there are going to be some i mean if we look at natural gas uh the, some of those stocks are absolutely flying um coal stocks as well doing very well i do look at the FTSE 100 but it's mainly sort of mid cap um you know i mean i'll i'll trade anything but generally the the uh, the alpha is easier in sort of sub one billion companies just because there's there's not so many people looking at them. Um, but yeah, I guess it's it's not just long or short. It's if you do both, you've got a better chance of, of finding good quality risk to reward trades. Yeah, well, that, that retail space obviously is you know potentially going to be the epicenter of all the, these problems later this year. Mm. Is that still? You know, are you finding more of those kind of opportunities if that's still not being priced in? Um, you know, that that concern. Uh, well, we had one last week called Revolution Beauty. Um, mm. I actually looked at shorting that around 90p and just didn't because I thought it had a, a good amount of cash. Uh, then it comes out in ones and tanks 50%. So, yeah. um, yes, sometimes you've just got to be a bit more aggressive and, and think. Um, you know, does this company have tailwinds or does it have headwinds? And what is the most likely um, course for this this business? So there probably are, and I'm trying to find them now. Um, good short 
candidates. There's going to be plenty out there. There's a lot of companies, you know, they're still warning. Um, Treat today mm. had a big profit warning. It's marked down 30%. Um, you know, are people going to rush in to be buying that stock after it's warned in this market? Probably not. So, you know, I don't see any reason to be long. Um, mm. I did short it on the bell and I've, I've closed since because it didn't look like we're going to get that crazy move that I was hoping for. Um, but there's, there's loads of businesses where the industry will be slowing down or the company will be slowing down and the market hasn't reacted. Uh, so for example, Hollywood bowl doing very well, great business, uh, communicates very well. Um, you know, once come September when the kids are back at school and people are thinking about Christmas and, you know, the, the pending energy bills going up, are they really going to be rushing out bowling? Um, I don't know, but you know, sometimes it's just that sort of thinking that leads you onto a trade. You don't actually need the the fancy DCF things and and all what all the smart people have with the Excel sheets and things. Sometimes you just need to to think what can happen, um, and and think about what can happen next. And it, it, sometimes it, it it can be that simple. Yeah, that kind of joined up thinking. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think what what you said as well about you know those kind of reactions like like with treat this morning, you know it does show that the amount of nerves out there, you know, if you do miss or, you know, revise down guidance, you, you get whacked pretty heavily at the yeah. moment, which, which just kind of shows what kind of market mm. we're in, doesn't it? Um, what about, you know, we'll, we'll go come back to treat maybe in a minute, because there's a point I wanted to pick up there, but, but just sort of thinking about your, your mindset and how you, uh, how you trade in general, what do you sort of think gives you, gives you your edge? You know, is it simply, you know, joining the dots, as you just said, and, and being aware of, you know, what makes a good trader? And if so, what do you think does make a good trader? I, th- I think risk management is probably, uh, it's got to be number one because, you know, I'm not risking anything serious that can hurt me on any one trade. So I can sleep quite well at night because, you know, I'm never at that point where if this trade doesn't work out, you know, a widow maker trade, as they're called, mm. then it's a problem. Um, so my my goal really is just to stay in business and keep grinding away and gradually compounding the account over time. Um, so I don't need to to make millions overnight. You know, I'm, I'm quite happy to just take my time and keep plodding along. But a lot of people are very impatient. They want to make money very quickly, so they become very aggressive with the you know they might put 25% of their account or even more. You know, so I've seen cases where uh, oh, well, for example, there was there was one punter on a bulletin board. He put his entire life savings into a stock. He put his en- his mum's entire life savings into a stock, uh, and it was down ninety percent. Um, now I've had drawdowns like that, but it's on a much smaller position, so it never really hurts me. Um, so you know, if anyone would would want to become a successful trader, you've got to think about risk management first, stay in the game, because once you can actually survive, you can then start thinking about different ways to make money and different strategies and and find out what works for you. But most people that I know of who have said they can't make any money trading or they've blown up, it's always because it's too big a position size coupled with an extreme volatility spike that they just didn't expect and weren't prepared for. Mm. um that it, it, every single time has been that so how do you think about sizing then what, what the kind of you know the kind of limits you set yourself 
Um, well, I, I just assume that every position could go to zero overnight. Um, obviously, it's not nice, but you know there was a stock a couple of years ago called uh, Conviviality. It, it did wholesale booze or something like that. Can't really remember, but it, it came out with a profit warning. Um, and then the directors bought quite a lot of, of stock, you know, so it would give you the sort of confidence to, to trade a bounce. Now, I missed my entry, so I was quite lucky. Um, but a few days later, it's suspended because they had a VAT bill or something. They couldn't pay it, and, and the company went bust completely. Now, some would say that the directors didn't really know what they're doing, and I, I think that's fair because, you know, if, if they had known what they have bought, who knows? Uh, but these things can happen. You know, patisserie, Valerie, obviously, overnight zero. Um, so you, you've just got to be prepared for you know things like treat profit warnings um, that will that can harm you. You know, some stocks one they, they open down fifty percent. You've got to size so that you can take a whack. You know, you you might have a ten percent loss on a position. You know, if that stock opens down thirty percent, you've lost you know a lot more than you expected so you've always got to be prepared for that and uh yeah if you can do that i think you, you stand a good chance how many how many you know positions would you tend to have on at any one time can it vary wildly do you, do you tend to kind of have a, a core number how does it work for you, from your perspective um so i've found that when i get to around 15 i eventually start losing money yeah, um, right. and that's i think it's just too many because uh, you know, I personally try and keep them at 10 or less now because I think you, you, if you have 10 stocks, you can be quite well diversified, especially if it's a book of longs and shorts. Um, so you don't really need to worry about what the market's doing because you'll get stopped out because you have your risk management in place um, and you're sort of long and short. So it doesn't, you know, you're not, you haven't got a book of 20 longs in a in a bear market. Um, you know, which obviously isn't that sensible. But yeah, I try and keep it at, at 10. And obviously, I'll, I'll wait my better ideas um, with more capital, because not all ideas are efficient. You know, if you've got 10 ideas, your top two or three are probably going to be better than ideas eight, nine and 10. But then if eight, nine and 10, if they keep on growing, and they build a base and then break out, I'll allocate more capital to them. Um, what I won't do is average down and this, this is quite controversial Dan because a lot of people will, will, I'm, I'm sure will be thinking oh mm. this guy's an idiot you know I've made loads of money buying stocks when they're depressed and and you know if if that works these people by all means continue doing it but there was a, a really good fund manager who always averaged down into stocks outperformed the market bought heavily into Kodak and there was another company as well and completely blew himself up you know that outperformance was gone all because he averaged down um and i i don't i don't really have anything to fall back on you know if i lose my trading pot i'd probably have to get a job which you know i'd I'd rather not do you know obviously if i have to then i would but um the best way to to not do be in that position is to not average down and not take on crazy risk so yeah, I mean, I'll talk about risk management until I'm blue in the face, but it is the one thing that traders blow up from, and it's the one thing that they get wrong. Was that was that you know the average down philosophy 
did you start that way? Did you kind of learn, learn? Not yeah, to yeah, yourself? I've, I've, I've made that mistake a few times. Mm. Yeah. And then the worst thing is when, when it does work, you think the strategy works. Um, mm. So you're sort of tempted to, to do it again. Um, but yeah, there was one company I just kept on averaging down. And then eventually the pain became so great. And I realized I'd lost like 60, 70% of the position. I just liquefied it. And I felt immediately better because I couldn't lose anymore but yeah I'm, I'm a trader so I'm, I'm thinking of it in terms of you know very differently to the investor because I mean when when you average down if if you like the stock say at 20p nothing's actually changed but it's now 10p in a sense it's actually better value um, which I guess yeah. makes sense for an investor but for someone who's focused on price action and risk reward it really doesn't make any sense there's I don't know. In fact, all of the best traders, you know, Mark Minervini, Stan Weinstein, uh, William O'Neill, Paul Tudor Jones, all of them say don't, don't average down. Um, and there's a famous picture of Paul Tudor Jones. He actually has a post-it note that says losers, average losers, you know, pinned next to his um, his laptop. And uh, yeah, so for me, averaging down is like, if I ever start thinking, I'm going to average down. That's when I know I've got to take a step back and have a think about what I'm doing because that, that's when it can get really dangerous throwing good money after bad. And you think about that post it then. Yeah. yeah. What, um, <laughs> what, uh, uh, so is it a question then of, you know, stop losses and sticking to them to, to avoid that? Is that, yeah, exactly. To, yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you think about a trade where you're getting out before you actually put the trade on, that's the best thing to do because the problem is once you place the trade and you haven't thought about the exit, you then emotionally and financially invested in the trade. Mm. Um, so your stop loss is going to be biased because of those interests. So for me, I think it works a lot better to, to look at a chart, think about where I'm getting out or where I'll be wrong, and then adjust my position size for risk based on that. There's a there's a tool on my website uh, to do this where you can put your entry in, put your stop, uh, you put your monetary risk, like the quantum that you want to risk on the trade, and it will give you the amount of shares that you need to buy for that risk. So basically, I, I will go into a trade knowing what I can lose. And obviously, if it does go to zero, I can lose 100% of that. So you need to be aware of that as well. But yeah, stop losses, physical or mental. Definitely, I think uh, for a trader, uh, are uh, important because yeah. if you don't really have a stop loss, you can't define how much you're going to lose. So it's very difficult to scale an account because if you're risking a hundred percent on every position, it's it's pretty hard to to actually make money. You do uh, you do come across this a lot as well. I think well, certainly from my background, uh, covering you know professional investors for many years you know whatever your time horizon and sure you can make errors buying stocks but it's always the sell discipline that that appears to you know crop people up um i think there have been studies mm. showing fund managers as well that is the big flaw you know it may not be averaging down but it's about you know getting emotionally invested in a stock when when you shouldn't be and not knowing you know when to sell at the right time i mean obviously to an extent that's the uh the ultimate question isn't it and, and, and if everyone knew how to do that um everyone will be laughing but but mm -hmm. i think that that just shows that the importance of those kind of rules what kind of um are there any other kind of you know uh, sort of hard 
and fast rules like that that you have for yourself when you're uh, when you're trading? I, I mean, I always try not to get emotional because you know once you get emotional, that's when things get messy. I mean, I've seen it happen too many times to other people that it can be possible to to get truly invested in one stock, and then you know I see people on Twitter bad news will come out, but they've somehow framed it in their mind as, as good news um, because they become, it, it almost it's almost like the stock becomes a part of their identity. So they don't really want to admit that they're wrong. It's like people who are sucked into a cult. It's very difficult to get out of because they would have to admit that they were wrong getting sucked into the cult. So it's, it's sort of difficult to leave. Um, so you've always got to be detached from stocks and sort of ready to sell them at any point, you know, even if you've had the, the trade on for a year, um, you know, if the, the facts change or your stop losses hit, you've, you've just got to kill it. You've got to be you know, so almost just ruthless, very efficient in what you do. Um, and then I guess consistency as well, you know, trading isn't an easy job. Everyone's out there trying to, to make money for themselves um, sometimes at the expense of you. So you've, you've just got to put the work in and, and be consistent and have a strategy and then follow it. Um, I mean, it, it sounds easy, but actually doing all of that things is, is quite hard. Um, but it, it is possible. Um, but you've, again, you've got to sort of give yourself time to allow that, that edge to play out. And when it comes to, you know, we've touched on some, some patterns already, you know, the, the, the basics, I suppose, fairly self-explanatory, you know, uptrend, downtrend, those kind of things. But what what kind of things do you look for in in a stock's movements, those kind of things? What are the the, the warning signs or the positive signs that, that you try and look out for? Um, so I trade quite a lot of breakouts. And what I like to look for in them is, is a cup and handle pattern um, where the volume and the volatility will, will sort of come right down. Um, and then it, I'd like to see it break out on big volume. So the, the, the usually the best ones are when they've traded sideways for an extended period of time, and then they break out. And those, it you know, it, it comes back to the the four stages. So we have stage one, which is like the sideways trend of accumulation, um, and then the advancing phase, which is stage two, and that's the the sort of uptrend. That's the the sweet spot that I like to buy in, you know, when a stock breaks out of a, of a base and it's already trending upwards, uh, you know, the likelihood is that it will continue. I mean, it doesn't work all the time. Nothing does. Um, but the goal is if I'm right 50 to 60% on, on my trades as a strike rate and I'm risking one to make one and a half, two, three, something like that, um, then net of fees, you've, you've got a profitable strategy. And, uh, you know, sometimes you only need one pattern to actually be a profitable trader. You don't need to do shorts and, and everything like that. Um, sometimes it's just one thing done really well. Yeah. And and to go back to treat, uh, obviously, again, this morning, there was that profit warning as we we're recording. You know, you said you were looking for, you know, crater type pattern, which didn't yeah. materialize in this in this case. But can you, you know, explain a bit more about about that as well? Yeah, so so when I short profit warnings, I'm looking to get in on the bell. So it'll often be in the uncrossing trade. So I'll be in on the first print of the day. Um, and a lot of stocks, when they warn, you know, people are, are sort of late to sell. So they'll be selling 
at a minute, two minutes past eight, or you know, there'll be funds who didn't have the liquidity to sell, so they'll be pushing it. Um, you know, very often we see a profit warning, and, and and if a fund decides to liquidate, they'll just be selling, you know, all day throughout the day, hitting the bid, um, getting out, and that's gonna gonna cause a, a drop in the price. Um, so again, it's you know, most profit warnings they'll open down and then they will fall. So I'm I'm just trying to take advantage of that movement, in a sense. Um, similar to when a stock has really good news that's completely unexpected, um, it'll often gap up and, and carry on. And, and this is something uh, that I talk about a lot in my courses at opening drive. So if, if you can buy in very close to, you know, either in the uncrossing or straight after it, uh, the price will often rally because institutions will be buying in and other people will be buying in as well. Um, you know, if the, if the market was efficient, it would open at the new price and then not move at all, but that's just not the case. Um, if you go back and look at stocks where they've warned or they've beaten expectations for the first time, very often those stocks will will either move down or rally. And uh, the, re- the reason I say the first time is because um, eventually some stocks will, you know, it's, so for example, there's broker expectations and then there's what's actually priced in. So I remember Boohoo in 2017, you know, being on a fantastic run, beating expectations every single time. One time it, it actually beat the expectations again and, and fell really sharply because right. the expectation in the market was so high. Um, yeah, they beat expectations, but the market wanted more, so it sold off. Um, so you, you, like in the first upgrade, where it genuinely is a surprise. This is typically when you get the, the biggest move, you know, after it's the third, fourth or fifth upgrade, you've got to be thinking, you know, is, is this really a surprise anymore? Because if it's not, it might even sell off. So it, it's just about looking, again, looking at the risk to reward, um, the sort of risk and buying a stock that has genuinely surprised the market is relatively low. But when when you come to you know fifth or sixth time, it's it's not the same risk to reward. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, I think that does, and I think that will will echo with a, with a lot of uh, uh, listeners, whether they be traders or investors in the, in the mm-hmm. over a longer term horizon as well. What about um, you know the kind of tools you might use, whether it be data services, but also you know platforms, those kind of things, because obviously. Uh, you know, trading incurs costs as well. You know, how do you mm-hmm. how do you accommodate or account for the, those things? Are you, are you looking for effectively, you know, the lowest cost platforms, or, or you know, is it is it just a question of you know the ones that can provide you with the, the best service? Uh, the best the best service by far. Um, I mean, the, the the problem with these low cost brokers is that yeah, you might have commission free, but there was one of them that would. Um, it was commission free, but you would get filled like at the end of the day, mm. which is like completely ridiculous yeah. um, because the price could be anything at the end of the day. Um, but yeah, and generally it's, it's whatever offers the best service. I mean, I, I trade with IG. I've been with them for uh, probably, probably five, six years now. Um, are they the best? Um, they're the best in the UK. Yes. Could they be a lot better? Definitely. Um, but then I have other brokers as well for, for different things. 
Um, so for set stocks, I trade with Maybank. Um, and, and not all brokers are great for the same thing. So there are some which will specialize in capital raisings. Um, and when it comes to execution, you don't actually want to trade through them because they'll be rubbish. But if you're interested in taking part in deals, then it makes sense to to open an account. So, um, yeah, obviously I'll try and minimize costs um, if I can. But, you know, generally it's it's what provides the, the best service. Yeah, I think that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And how about, you know, if we, you kind of look, you know, you've, you've been doing this full time for, you know, several years now. If you maybe think back to the beginning or, you know, perhaps more recently, what do you think of the kind of, you know, everyone makes mistakes of these kind of things. You know, it's a, it's a difficult profession. What, what do you think the, the points at which you've learned the most from? What, what would they be? Is there a moment in time, a particular trade, a, you know, market event? You know, how do you think about those things when you look back? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I'm, I'm not really afraid to say I was quite lucky because, um, you know, tw- 2016, the market was a rampant bull market and you could buy any old garbage and, and make money. And that's that's exactly what I did. Um, you know, I once held a, a stock where I'm pretty sure was a fraud um not going to name them because you know i don't really need to take the risk that they will sue me they probably won't because i'm sure they yeah. were a fraud That's good um, but I, knew, I knew it was a well exactly thank you um I, I was very sure it was a fraud but i was still holding the stock because i knew it would keep going up um or at least i thought it would and, and it did so it's it you know it doesn't really matter what the company does or doesn't do it's what people think about it um, so it's mainly, uh, a, a lot of it, it will be about sentiment and yeah, this does show in charts. Um, but if you can find a hot stock, um, and you can buy the breakout on hot stock, you know, that, that will typically be a good trade. Um, but in, in 2017, you know, I, I still didn't really know what I was doing. I'd, I'd uh, taken a risk going full time, um, borrowed a load of money, uh, from Deutsche Bank. Um, from a chap who looked like Boris Johnson and uh, he actually shredded the paper up because I told him I wanted to to trade stocks. Um, and then he said, do you want to take a holiday or buy a new car or something? And suddenly I found myself getting a loan for a holiday, which uh, went straight into my trading account. Um, right, well, better better yeah. to borrow from them than, uh, than loan their money, I suppose. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, I think so. But it, when it got to the election in 2017, um, you know, everything just went sour. You know, every stock was down mm. for like days on end. And, that, and I, I didn't really have a strategy at that point because I'd only ever known stocks to go up. And I was just, you know, every day losing thousands, looking at my account, just waiting for the market to be over because then I didn't have to lose money anymore. Um, now, I was, I was a bit like a rabbit trapped in the headlights. You know, it's it can see everything going wrong, but it just didn't know what to do. And eventually I snapped out of it and just sold everything, which was quite depressing when I looked at how much I'd needlessly given back because I didn't have any risk limits. But it, it sort of also inspired me because it was like, well, this is entirely your fault. It's nobody else's fault but your own fault. And if you would manage this better, you know, the, the outcome would have been completely different. Um, so it was that point where I started to to focus more on risk and, and actually building out a set of rules to follow. Um, 
and uh, yeah, I mean, I'd lost a lot, but I was still nicely up. Uh, but that, that for me was the the turning point, um, you know, because I realised if I kept this up, you know, I'd be going back to uh, a job and I, I wouldn't have any more capital and even worse, I'd owe the bank a load of money as well. So, um, yeah, definitely that was the turning point. Uh, the second one was in 2020 during COVID. Um, so I remember the, the FTSE 100 and all the markets were still crazy high when um coronavirus was actually sweeping through italy so i thought you know i should probably think about going short here on lots of things um but then i thought well you know the market you know the FTSE 100 stocks is run by you know people a lot smarter than i am with a lot more money than me to to calculate so if, if they don't think coronavirus is an issue then it, it it must not be an issue and uh obviously it was an issue and uh, I did start shorting, um, but I was I was quite late because once we started having those big falls, it was hard to like start shorting into them uh, in as much size because you you know you always worried about a snapback rally. Um, so sometimes you, you've also got to trust your intuition and and uh, you know what I should have done is thought about the risk to reward. If I get this wrong and coronavirus isn't an issue. Then I'm not really going to lose that much, but if I'm right, then you know I do very, very well. Um, so it, it's it's taught me now to think that the market isn't efficient, and and it genuinely is possible to find incredibly uh, rewarding risk to reward trades if you if you look hard enough and you, and you don't you're not attached to anything and you're not emotionally invested or or you just don't follow the news blindly. Um, yeah, and I guess the third one was I didn't realize that uh, that the amount of money being pumped into everything would would prop everything up. I mean, it's easy to say now, but I thought we were going to have this huge recession, um, which actually I think that COVID money is delayed for a year or two, and I think now we're going to have that that payback. Um, but yeah. I went long far too late into the bounce as well. Yeah, that bounce was fairly, even looking back at, it, back at it now, fairly extraordinary, wasn't it, at the time? Yeah. April, an April bottoming versus, I mean, obviously mm-hmm. the market is always ahead of the economy, but, you know, versus what uh, happened uh, economically and the market had been up for so long by that stage, it was quite remarkable. I suppose, I suppose now, you know, there's a, all these macro factors have got to be considered, you know, whatever kind of investor you are, do you, are there any, you know, indicators you find yourself looking at more often now, or I don't know, often I kind of think it'd be useful to have a, you know, some kind of system where it can, which can identify, you know, shortages in the economy, you know, because they, you know, things are cropping up everywhere. Even now, new supply chain issues, aren't there, you know, uh, mm. be it paper or, uh, you know, glass or, you know, almost every raw material, it feels like at certain points is really struggling. Uh, have you found yourself having to think more about these, you know, slightly outside the box things almost and thinking how can that you know feed back to my to my holdings those kind of things um yes yeah i think um so i mean i've I made a trade on uh decal agrovision and um it's uh, a palm palm oil producer and obviously the, the palm oil price was going crazy um but what i didn't factor in was the weather and they didn't really have a high season so they didn't produce as much um 
you know, and that really, excuse me, really, I should have been on that and and thought about a bit deeper about what actually can affect this stock and what are the risks. And, you know, the truth is I do this on a professional basis, but that was just me slacking uh, because I didn't really think about what can happen. I mean, it sounds obvious now, you know, an agriculture stock, obviously the weather is a, is a huge factor, uh, but I, I just didn't do the work on it. Um, but yeah, pretty much all businesses now, if they're not hedged with energy out for a few years, then their costs are going to skyrocket. Um, yeah, I, th- I think it's always worth, ev- even as a trader, um, if you're putting a, a position on a stock, think about everything that goes into that stock uh, to actually make money. So Fevertree actually warned, uh, was it last month? And they, they, they were talking exactly as you, you just said there with glass. Um, so they haven't even had the, the consumer uh, drop off Yes, I personally, I think they will. Who knows? But I hadn't, I hadn't even thought about glass as being a, a big input into their numbers. So yeah, absolutely. I think you're right. You've, you've got to look at these things, um, even as a trader, because it, again, it's, it factors into the risk management. So that is something that I'm doing. You know, it's going to be one of my points moving forward to, to do a lot more work on, and obviously. With with ten positions, and as my account grows bigger, it becomes more of an issue. So yeah. definitely, yeah, I think you've absolutely got to think about these sort of things. The one that seems to keep cropping up at the moment is the, or the last couple of weeks is the Rhine, the water level there, and yeah. the impact on German trade and cargo, and uh, and and the way that snakes out. So we'll see what what happens there. Um, mm-hmm. a final a final question, I suppose, because um, unfortunately we are coming to the end of our time, but. Uh, you know, we, we, or I say we, I mean, journalists, you know, hear a lot about, uh, you know, coverage of stocks, you know, over the past few years, particularly in the small cap area, there's less analyst coverage than there used to be things like MIFID 2, you know, have, have um, and the reform of the way that uh, sell-side research is delivered and produced have really cut down the number of analysts on the average small cap stock. Do you, have you noticed over the past few years that, you know, there it is, sensibly easier to to get an edge is that kind of thing filtered through in terms of you know you see more mispricings or is it hard to separate that from you know overall market conditions of the day uh, I'm, not, I'm not sure because small caps have, have always been quite inefficient and you know a lot of stocks actually have no coverage at all um yeah. i mean i find broken notes quite useful just to get up to speed and and see what the the stock actually does and then look at the expectations because then I can see, you know, a lot, a lot of stocks will publish numbers. They might not even say if it's a, a miss or a beat or whatever. Um, so you actually have to go back to check. And obviously if you haven't got any forecasts, uh, you can't really make a judgment on, on whether it's uh, better than expected or worse because you've got no numbers. Um, but there is a, there is a company out there called research tree and uh, you know, there's a link on my site which will give people a free month if they want to try it. Um, but you can get basically a lot of um, it's an aggregator, so a lot of providers will put the notes on there that you can read. Um, so I find that quite useful. Um, but yeah, de- definitely the fact that there's not so much research is yeah, I, th- I think it is an advantage because the more inefficient the market is then the more alpha up for grabs for everyone. It, it's just easier. Um, 
you know, if you, if you look at something like Boohoo, it's got, you know, teams of, of suits sitting there crunching every number. It's hard for, for someone, well, someone like me, especially, who's not really that smart to actually get an edge on that. Um, whereas if you're looking at a company that only a few punters actually care about, and you can look through the numbers, it's a relatively simple balance sheet. And, you know, it doesn't have all of these adjustables and exceptional and, you know, five different income statements for each division. It's a lot easier, um, which is is why some private investors do fantastically well. Um, because, you know, if, if you can find the right company, you can potentially make, you know, several times your money. Uh, I know of one guy who's, who's made 100 times his money on a stock. Um, no, it, it is possible. Um, is it easy? No, but, uh, you know, I, I think it's possible. Yeah, the opportunities are are there. It's, uh, yeah, taking mm-hmm. advantage is the question. But as you say, yeah, there are um, uh, there is potential out there. Um, yeah, Michael, a lot thank of you. risk, but a lot of potential. Absolutely. Uh, Michael, thank you very much for your time today. I do appreciate it. We have, Thanks, Dan. Say, unfortunately, come to the end of our time. But it's been a great discussion. So thank you very much for that. Thanks, Dan. Appreciate it. Yes, that does bring us to the end of this latest IC interview, but do keep an eye on the website and on our podcasts for more interviews in the coming weeks and for our regular Companies and Markets weekly podcast as well. That's all from me. Thank you for listening and goodbye. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app. You can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program.